turn to Matthew 10 and then Matthew 24, and I will read a couple of scriptures. <clears throat> Matthew 10, 22, and if you would be so kind as to stand, I would appreciate it. Sister Grant and I are going up to Shawano in the morning. We'll be up there tomorrow and Tuesday, part of Wednesday for our district uh, brainstorming session. We have a district brainstorming session every year, so we'll be meeting with the leaders. I will be seeing Brother Mormon there tomorrow. I want you to pray. This is a very, very important meeting, one of the most important ones that we have during the year. We have our planning session here at our church in the first week of November, but uh, we want to evangelize Wisconsin. This is going to be the big, big topic. What are we going to do to evangelize Wisconsin? You probably saw in the paper where Wisconsin has topped the five million mark now. This past week, the statistics were released. We're over the five million mark. Madison, since 1990 and three years, has grown from 190,000 to 196,000. We're approaching the 200,000 mark. Dane County has grown to 363,000 people. And uh, it's uh, approaching the 400,000 mark. Well, a lot of souls are lost. We will be emphasizing uh, as we go on through the year the importance of winning people, talking to people, praying with people. If there's anyone here tonight that does not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, or you're not even for sure about your status with God, I would encourage you, clear it up before you leave. <clears throat> clear it up before you leave. Some strange things are happening in our land. Some very strange things. Matthew 10:22. Jesus said, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. And then we go to Matthew twenty four thirteen, and we find very, very <clears throat> similar scripture. <clears throat> but we want to read verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Praise God. And you may be seated. <clears throat> and I want to speak tonight on the subject, the survival of the fittest. This is uh, <clears throat> something you hear a lot about, especially out in the wild. I don't know how many of you are attracted to wildlife. I have been all my life since I was a little kid. I have liked to roam the woods and hunt fish. I've had my share of of uh, glad times and times of misery and grief. Uh, <clears throat> the woods. I really love the woods. And I like wildlife. We built out in the middle of the 40 acres close to Lake Kiganza, and we have more wildlife out there than you'd ever believe. Not too long ago we saw 38 deer coming out of the woods and the swamp and 
around dark. We've seen geese out there. We've seen fox out there. Uh, ducks mowing the pasture. About a month and a half ago, I left a little strip, not too much bigger than than the organ and the Leslie speaker. We had a hen, duck hen nesting there. She had uh, probably a dozen eggs or more. She just sat right on those eggs until I ran up there with a the tractor, and she'd go away, and I just went right around her, and we got off and located the spot, and she went ahead and hatched those little ones there, and waddled off to the lake <laughs> with them. <clears throat> Not too long ago, we were, my wife and I just, it was approaching dark, we were down at the barn, and there's a big oak tree, oh, huge thing, right by the barn. We looked up, and there was a raccoon just sliding out backwards, sliding out of a hole. Came down and looked around, went over to the horse trough, and attempted to get a drink, and saw us, and Went back up the tree and finally he came down and looked around a little bit and we were just standing there. He walked on out across the paddock, the horse paddock where we have our stallion and out into the to the pasture and across the hill, probably going over to see his friends. <clears throat> Spend the evening with them. <clears throat> I think uh, one of the most impressive movies or films that I've have ever seen uh, must have been 15 years ago someone checked out of the library a 16 millimeter film called The Lions of the Serengetis now maybe some of you saw this but they brought this and wanted me to watch it knowing I like nature and <clears throat> I was uh, I was really amazed when I watched this because uh these lions are very serious about their hunting. And, <clears throat> of course, the the uh, pride, uh, this is called the group, the family. It's called the pride. There's usually one or two predominant males and, and at least eight females. The, ma- the males kind of lay around, and the females do all the work. You know, it's kind of different from... You know what we're experienced with, but <clears throat> nevertheless, <laughs> just checking to see if you were listening. <clears throat> but uh, they just kind of, you know, lay around and get fat and and <clears throat> act sassy. But uh, <laughs> the females do the hunting, and uh, I mean they 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 they're serious about it. I mean, they're really serious about it. I saw in this film them catch uh, several different animals. Because you know that uh, the lame, the maimed, the disabled, the dysfunctional, uh, the sick, uh, they're at a great disadvantage because they are not as fit to survive. And uh, they will go down beyond a shadow of a doubt. But in this this film, uh, they were showing one female that was uh, hunting. This was uh, an actual filming of a female, and they, they, they just went through 
several months there, which they were going through the dry season there in the Serengeti in Africa. And this female would hunt and hunt and hunt. She's not going to give up. She's going to keep hunting. Because if we survive, we must eat. And after a while, their appetite, their hunger, is so intense. And it's amazing what they will go through just to bring down another animal. But uh, show this one female as she charged this zebra. Zebra must be at least 800 pounds, I would say. <coughs> of course, this, this female is lean. Uh, she's lost a lot of weight. She probably weighs 250 to 300 pounds. She's lost a lot of weight. But uh, she has been training herself. She's been running. She has been conditioning herself. And uh, this zebra has not been doing that. For the most part, he's just been eating grass where he can get it, and he's fat. And I wouldn't say lazy, because he's in the wild, and he's always watching. But to see this, this lion crouch and move closer and closer and closer, when you see this, and you see the zebras, they perk their ears up, and they're looking around. They're always watching. But, you know, you, you, you want to just jump up and scare him away, like, get out of here. There's something, something after you. Uh, but you can't do that. And you're watching this, and you, you see the sparkle in the zebra's eyes, and the zebra is aware that there's danger. This female zebra, she's smelling something. She knows that there's danger. She's not for sure what it is. But uh, she'll eat a little bit and lift her head up high and look. And Because of her being alert, after a while, the whole herd of zebras are doing this. And finally, they just stop and they're frozen. And they don't know what to do. They know they need to run, but they're not for sure what direction to run. Because they certainly don't want to run into the direction of the approaching danger. You see the wind whipping up uh, the dust. They have these little tiny whirlwinds there and the wind whipping them up. There's all kinds of names down in Texas. They call them dust devils. Just picking it up and whirling around, twisting. And uh, this, this is confusing these animals, they smell this lion, but they're not for sure where the lion is. And so rather than run, they're just going to stand there because they think their chances are greater because if they run in the wrong direction, death is sure. But just from out of nowhere, you're watching the zebra, and little did you know then that the lion was crawling on her belly, stalking, coming closer and closer and closer. The lion is much faster than the zebra in a short sprint. And this huge lion makes this leap through the air, and those zebras take out. And the lion makes another leap, and she's right on the back of this zebra. But the zebra, weighing about 800, 900 pounds, she comes up with these feet in the back, and you're talking about 
kicking that lion. I mean, she's... But that lion has that claw in. It's not going to let go. And finally, the zebra just kicks loose. But when the zebra sees where the herd is, she makes a turn this way. And little did the zebra know that the lion was not hunting alone, that there was another one. And when she makes that turn, she turns into the path of the other female that's stalked herself over just for this type of an occasion. And so she comes in, and when she makes her lunge, she grabs the shoulder area and sinks those claws so deep into the flesh. And I don't think I've ever seen anything so awesome. I've been to rodeos. I've seen films of rodeos. And I've seen these big 2,000-pound bulls throwing these riders off. I remember seeing one where a gentleman separated the muscle in his arm. He was He was holding on a... I don't even know what they call this rope that they, some of you cowboys, you probably know. City slicker like me, I'm not for sure what that. Anyway, they, was, they were holding on that, and the bull bucked the rider off, but he couldn't get his hand free, and it just literally pulled his muscle in half here. Just popped it. <clears throat> A similar situation with the lion. The zebra was just bouncing and running, but those claws were... It was so deep, and that body of that lion was just flopping back and forth, back and forth. She was trying to get her other claw in. And after, I would say, a good hundred yards of running, you know, the, the lion just happened to turn right and got the other claw in, and then she went for the neck. Now, this is quite important because... When you look in the scripture, there is a scripture in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that talks about this. Be vigilant, be sober. For the devil, which is your adversary, he goeth about as a mighty roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You see, <clears throat> the survival of the of the fittest is not just true in in the world of nature in the wild but it's also true in the spiritual world did you know that where there is a human weakness i have come to this conclusion that there's going to be some devil always coming your way where there is a human weakness uh I have been more aware of this in recent years than ever before. If you are sick, and Sister Bertha talked about being sick, isn't it true that when you get sick, there's always some demon that comes by to try to take advantage of that? I'm not saying, I believe that sickness is caused by the devil, but I'm not saying that every time you get sick, it's because I think that because man sinned, and the devil was responsible for sin, that incorporated in nature is this plan to take us to our grave. But separate and apart from that, when there is a sickness, it, it's like the, the devil always shows up to take advantage of that. 
Always. And I've made reference to this several times. I'm amazed at how many times during the course of a week that several people will call me about something that seems to be happening to them that's strange, that's indifferent. Something that's that's just, you know, something that maybe it's never happened before. And yet, they will hang up, and within a day, somebody else will call me and say, you cannot believe what has happened to me this week. And it's almost like I'm hearing the same record. The same song, maybe just a different verse. But basically, it all lends to the same theme. And that's the way it goes. I've even had things as serious as as, as marital problems. And one person called. So I need to talk with you because here's what's happening. And over the course of the week, I have two or three people, sometimes uh, a number of couples over a month. And what I, you know, sometimes you, of course, you don't like to, uh, these things are highly confidential and classified, <clears throat> but you just like to say, I'd like to call a meeting of everybody's having problems, marital problems. Just get together and say, can't you understand? That there is a devil that's at work in your marriage? And why don't all of us who are involved in this right now just join in in this prayer meeting and let's just see what we can do to put the devil on the run? Why don't we just bind together and say, the devil will not break up our marriage. But we're going to bind together and we're going to put him on the run. Now, we know that it, that sounds great, but the, the, the situation is more complex than that. And the reason why is because you may have a husband that says, but my wife, does that mean she's going to stop doing what she's doing that she ought not do? Or the wife will say, does that mean the husband's going to be kinder and sweeter? And That's what I said. Where there is a human weakness, there always seems to be a devil that's going to take advantage of it. That's what we're talking about. <clears throat> I did not read to you the scriptures prior to my scripture text. I didn't read to you anything but Matthew ten twenty two, Matthew twenty four thirteen. I, I guess I did read verse twelve. Pardon me. But <clears throat> let's just look at what the scripture is saying <clears throat> prior to this. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. Now, we are experiencing here in the States the judgments of God being sprinkled upon our American society. I'm, I'm a still a firm believer that uh, some of the national disasters that we have had, the floodings and such, are warnings from God. When I was in California, I picked up a paper, and the paper said, Floods are not a warning from God. <clears throat> I, I, I really couldn't believe that, that people were saying that. And, of course, it was coming from church leaders. Uh, a very similar thing happened when our city or village of Barneville was just blown away by a tornado several years ago. 
If you remember, there was an article in the paper where the preachers there were saying, don't you people worry about this because this has nothing to do with God. In fact, it's hard for us to believe that a God who loves people would allow anything like this to happen. So, when we see things like wars, you know, where do, when you think about it, isn't war about the craziest thing you've ever heard of? You think about people spending billions of dollars in tanks and bombs and planes and guns, just going out and shooting one another. Why? Because they can't get along. You think about that. That's just plain old crazy. But, on the other hand, the other side is, well, if I don't shoot, then somebody's going to get me. So I must train, I must condition, I must do everything I can, and there is a spiritual war that's going on, that when when you really think about it, you think, now this, this is all very, very crazy. But on the other hand, it's either you or your enemy. And you feel like you're caught in this, 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 this vice where, you know, you're being pressed and you're being pushed and you're being molded. And if I don't fight, then I'm going to lose my life. Now, please understand when I talk about uh, warfare and I talk about uh, things of this nature, we're not involved in a physical war. It's not who can physically survive. I think it's already been determined. We've lost that, haven't we? I mean, man has lost that already because it is appointed and a man wants to die and after death comes the judgment. But just because that we're going to lose the physical war does not mean we have to lose the spiritual war. Because the Bible talks about overcoming the strongholds of Satan, casting down imaginations and such, ruling over the powers of darkness. I just don't know how many people I talk to, unsaved people, that they say it just seems like every every time I turn around there's something wrong, something not right. I feel so much pressure. The Bible even speaks of the last days that men's hearts shall fail them for fear of the things that are coming up on the earth. Now you need to understand that if you're being pressed in some kind of a mold that you're unhappy with, that it's not going to get any better just because you just sit around and do nothing. That many times you have to fight your way out of that. You have to get clear direction from God and know what you're you're talking about. <clears throat> now, the Scripture goes on to say that there are many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. There are a lot of deceived people in the world today. People that's joined up with the opposite side and they don't even know it. I have even counseled and preached and talked and taught Christians who... I felt very confident they were on the wrong side and didn't know it. 
They were doing everything that they possibly could to, for their own destruction. But they didn't know that. In fact, in one time I just, I just simply said, look, everything I suggest is wrong. There's no way I can help you at all. Because everything, it's like you just, you always meet me at the gap. Cut me off at the gap and you've got an answer for everything I say. Do you want to keep living like this? Or do you want to come out of this? Yes, I said, well then you best listen. Because the road you're going, you have been deceived. The devil has deceived you. His agents have deceived you. And you will not survive. To endure, that Jesus said, he that endureth to the end, means the power to last or to withstand pressures, hardships, the power to stand against something without giving up or giving out, the ability to tolerate hardships. Paul speaks of the soldier, and I don't know of any better examples to give you than perhaps the survival of the fittest as far as the wild is concerned in their natural world. Also, our sports world and that of our soldiers. And, and, and truthfully, they're, they're all talked about in the Scripture. Paul talks about the sports world. He said, not as a man that just batteth at the breeze. He's talking about a boxer, a man that's just, just out there and he's just throwing punches. But is he landing any punches? You follow what I'm saying? And and sometimes, do you ever feel like you're overcommitted and you're busy? So busy that you can get nothing done. But you feel like in all of this hustle and bustle of life, you're not landing any solid punches against the enemy. In other words, where are you getting? You feel like you're doing nothing. Just fighting, batting the breeze, as Paul spoke of. <coughs> now, football season is coming up, and I'm hearing a lot of people talk about football. Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed playing football, except the last couple of years or more. <clears throat> uh, I have not played much uh, for uh, several reasons, some which are really none of your business, and, <clears throat> and some are very obvious. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> on, on the other hand, uh, I I remember conditioning myself to play, and uh, it, it was not an easy thing. Even when you're young, you get out of shape. We we used to go up as as boys. You know, I see see some of these boys. We see foot marks in the bathroom on the ceiling. You know, say who's been walking on the ceiling? You know, <clears throat> go outside out there. I remember seeing a, a looked like a boot. Somebody stepped in the mud, and the boot mark was up above the door. I thought, now who in the world? <clears throat> I watched a bunch of boys out there, and they were like karate, and they were jumping, jumping way up and putting their feet up like that. I said, man, we used to go and punch each other in the gut. That's what we call it. See, you know, football, see if we were in shape. You had to just harden the muscles in your gut and just <clears throat> take the bang. I'm serious with you. We did it when we were playing football. I remember 
some of the fat guys coming out. Now, please understand, I, you, you're, at that time, I was very slim. <laughs> but uh, some of those guys will lose six and eight pounds per day. Can you believe that? You'd think they're going to die. I mean, you, you actually, you'd think they're going to die. You're talking about huffing and puffing. You think, this guy will never make the team. The next day he comes out there and he can hardly walk. He can hardly get dressed. Some of them couldn't bend over the second day and tie their football shoes. They'd have to tie each other's shoes. Man. My dad was a great one to hunt and fish. and Way over behind our house down uh, Sandy Road, there was a, a pond, a lake over there. I'd go over there and... Uh, I'd run back. I'd get behind the pickup truck. And, of course, it was just kind of a log trail. I'd run back. I'd go where I could run over there and run back. Oh, he'd putz along there, you know, pretty pretty fast, but not too fast, and kind of pace me. And I'd get out and I'd run. Run all the way. Well, I couldn't run across this platform right now. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, you're talking about uh, getting in shape. I mean, you just run and run and run and run and run. And, and it's almost like you reach a point in which adrenaline begins to flow and you, you get your second wind and you get, you get refreshing. And, and in, in cross-country running, Brother Manley's done some of this, you know, you see the finish line and, and, and you get what they call the second kick. And you just like you get kick into another gear. And sprint after running several miles cross-country, sprint across the finish line. You can do that. It is amazing. It is amazing. Um, just listening to a talk show on the radio, I think it was Friday, and uh, they were talking about uh, the Marine Corps. And one of the problems in the Marine Corps is, is when, when guys go in and and uh, they have to bring their, their wives and such after boot camp, and it's just so. Our government is considering, in the Marines only at this time, saying that no one going into the Marine Corps for the first hitch—that's they're th- talking about a three-year hitch instead of four-year hitch—can get married. And people were calling in and say, "Oh, that's unfair." Well, <clears throat> the high-ranking officials of the Marine Corps says. Well, if you go to West Point or if you go to any of our military academies, you cannot get married while you're in the military academy. So you don't have time for a family. That's just the way it is. You know, Paul even talks about the disadvantages of being married and doing the work of God. He does. He really does. He said, you know, that when you're single, he said... Nobody owns you but God. That's what he's saying. I'll, I'll paraphrase. But he says, when you're married, uh, it's different. Because the wife has power over the man, and the man has power over the wife. Now, it takes a lot of discipline to live the single life, it really does. You know, and if there's anything we need, we need a singles ministry that is designed to help the single person who is single 
by choice and wants to remain single. We don't, we don't have a singles ministry that really does that. See, to, to, to be single, that is the classification of the Scripture, and that is that I have chosen to be single, I want to be single, so that I can give all my time to God. So when it comes to a lot of fellowship, which we think singles need and must have, they see, that's a, di- that's a different story. But when Paul talked about singles, he said, you don't need all this because you have God as a companion. Can you discipline yourself to keep God as a companion? That's what he's talking about. So they're saying in the military, wouldn't it be nice if the first hitch we say nobody can get married? Why? Because he said we've got to be serious about being a soldier. I mean, you've got to be serious about this. Why? Because when you are a soldier, the number one the number one priority of any nation is the defense of that nation. And I made mention of this, and in a message I talked about the number one priority of the of the church. It's the number one priority of the family is to make sure that that family is properly defended. This is the reason why the defense of the gospel. See, in other words, the preaching of the gospel is so important. You don't want, as a father, just any old thing come in your home to destroy the home. You must have a watchful eye. A watchful eye. Now, there are several aspects of, of endurance that I, I feel that I need to talk about. Uh, I, I mentioned 1 Peter 5. I, <clears throat> I think I gave you the wrong scripture, but let's turn to 1 Peter 5, if you would. 1 Peter 5, <coughs> I guess I did give you the, the right, uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Oh, my, 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 how we need, how we need to understand that we are involved in an endurance test. It's it's the person that is able to go all the way to the end. The carcasses that are are strewn out along the way, uh, representing people who... uh, have fallen by the wayside. Uh, it's not not how many we save altogether. It's how many that endure. This is this is so important. Now there are several aspects of endurance that I want to talk about. Number one, sincerity. Now you may find my list to be a little bit inaccurate as far as your own philosophy of life is concerned, but I think you're going to find that the the four different things I'm talking about tonight that this is necessary in order for you to survive. Number one, sincerity. When Peter says, be sober, if you look this up, he's saying, you've got to be sincere about what you're doing. You, you cannot just casually serve God and last. You won't last. Something will come by and destroy you. 
you've got to be as sincere about this as anything in life. Because this is the essence of life. And let me just ask you this question. Do you know of anything, anything that you're involved in, that you're more sincere about it than you are your service to God? Your service to God. If there's one thing in your life that you're more sincere about than your service of God, you will not last in this race. You'll fall by the wayside. To be sincere means you're free of pretense or deceit. You're genuine. If there's anything that God hates, it's hypocrisy or artificiality. God hates artificiality. Things that are not genuine. Things that are not real. In our complex world in which there's so many imitation products, you don't really know if it's real. People are producing leather that looks like real. Leather, but it's not. It's just got a print on it. It's not. It's not real leather. You know. You. <clears throat> I'm really amazed. I just remember one time. I used to sell furniture. In walks this lady. Oh, this is. This is genuine naga hide. What do you mean genuine naga hide? And I said, well, it's not really leather. It's kind of imitation leather. She said, oh yeah. And it's got a real nice. Fiber glass base frame. It's not real wood. But, uh, you know, it looks like wood. You see the wood coming in. see the grain. But it's not real wood. Is it a print? And I said, no, it's better than a print. It's, it's actually made into the, you know, but it's, it's not real wood. You know. <clears throat> then, of course, it's got vinyl casters on it. She wanted to. Uh, metal casters. I said, no, this is not brass. It just looks like brass, see. <clears throat> the lady acting real smart, you know, after a while she looked up at me and said, well, everything seems to be artificial. I wonder if you'll take counterfeit money for this. <clears throat> I said, well, <clears throat> I don't think we'll be able to do that. <clears throat> she passed on what we were uh, uh, selling and she went down the street I don't know if she bought it. She probably found a lot of artificial things there. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, artificiality. The whole thing was that the people were not sincere. For some reason, it was just the end thing to be righteous. But this has got to be more than just a passing fad. It's got to be more than just a tradition. If your parents taught you to go to church regularly, and you go to church regularly... I thank you for doing that. But it's got to be more than just that. It has to be more than that. It has to be more than that. I'm reminded of what uh, uh, Paul tells, I say Paul, what Philip tells the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch was, had been to Jerusalem to worship God. And he was reading in the scripture. And he was the place where he was reading was Isaiah 53. And Philip saw... Uh, the man going and 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 knew that no doubt knew he had been to Jerusalem. At least he was on the road coming from Jerusalem. He was in a desertous place at this time, and Philip just ran and jumped on board with the man. He said, "Do you understand what you're reading?" This this man obviously was extremely sincere. He said, "How can I, except some man should guide me?" 
And he consulted with Philip that Philip would tell him what he was reading. Philip preached unto him Jesus Christ. And after he had preached on, unto him Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Evidently they came across a place where there was water. Uncommon out in the desert. But I found this out. If you really want to be baptized, God will always make a way. If you want to be saved, there's always a way in which you can be saved. So here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And this is what Philip said. I'm going to paraphrase this. And I'm going to, Philip is saying, well, there's water here. So that would not be a hindering factor. Out here, you know, if there's no water, you can't be baptized because... Baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo or baptizo, which means to be fully wet or fully immersed. So here's water. I'm a preacher and I'm a willing man, so you've got the preacher and you've got the water. What would hinder a man like this? Well, I think Philip hit it right on the head when he said, Sir, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. The only thing that would stop this man from being baptized is if you're not 100% sincere in what you're doing. But I want to know, you want to serve God? You want to put your trust and confidence in God? Oh, this is very, very important because with every human weakness, as I said, there is, there is a demon out there someplace. And you won't get past the first aspect of endurance because there's something out there that will stop you dead in your tracks you've got to know what you're doing and be sold on what you're doing and be sincere in what you're doing you may not be fully equipped but if you're sincere you're well on the way of going all the way Paul says in his epistle to the Philippians in chapter 1 verse 10 that you may approve things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Praise God that you may be sincere until the day of Christ. Those that are insincere are just going to fall by the wayside. Praise God. Praise God. I believe that God's drawing a line today in this planet Earth. I believe He's saying everybody that's sincere... I want you to cross over this line. I studied Texas history. You remember, maybe some of you don't know this. Maybe some of you do. It's also in American history, but the Battle of the Alamo. General Travis simply pulled a sword across. They knew they were going to lose their lives, or at least they knew they were at stake. And they said, look. He said, if you want to, if you want to fight till death, he said, I want you to cross this line. They all crossed one by one after they gave their pledge to give it their best. Of course, Jim Bowie, a man that was sick on a cot, sick unto death. History tells us that he, he asked the man, he said, I can't do much, but would you take my cot up and would you carry it across the line? I'm with you all the way. And some of you may not be, feel that you're physically fit to do much for Jesus. But you see, we're not talking about physically fit. We're talking about a man who's full of faith, who's full of vision, 
somebody who inside of them, they've got a lot of fight left. And they're willing to put forth all of that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing is desire. You can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. Now, the reason why I talk about desire, you've got to have the want to. Somewhere along the way, God just got to put this in you, the want to. Desire means a craving or a longing. Uh, I want to do what's right. I want to serve God. Uh, This is quite contagious, by the way. I'm amazed when I read church history how many people were burned at the stake. How many people were sawn asunder. How many people were persecuted, executed, beheaded. Only at their execution to find out that the people who were doing this were so convinced because they saw the desire of these people to serve God until they die that some of the people laid down their own swords and joined rank with Christians. And the first thing that they did in their service of God was give their life for God. It's recorded in history. Some of the people would lay down their swords and go up and put their head on the guillotine and say, I am convinced. It's contagious. What we need is a sweeping desire throughout Calvary Gospel Church and throughout Pentecost. A sweeping desire. Something that flood our souls. The want to. Brother Alan Oggs uh, wrote the book, You've Got to Have the Want To. You've got to want to be saved. You've got to want to live righteous. You've got to want to live holy. You've got to want to defeat the devil. It has to be in you. I say it has to be in you. Well, I have known a man that would go out hunting and they'd get up out of a sick bed and drive all night long dressing deep, be down clothing, blaze orange and go out and sit in sub-freezing weather because they'd planned it all day. You've got to want to hunt to be like that. Why is it that men can apply themselves so much the things that matter so little. And yet when it comes to really giving their love of God's kingdom, they get bogged down and lazy and casual, unconcerned. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs thirteen twelve: Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is like a tree of life. Praise God. It gives you vitality put spring in your step faith in your heart oh my 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 remember something that Jeff said Jeff Rossing Jeff been working with us on the farm and, and he likes to ride horses you know so, one little horse out there, it's Lois's horse, name is Cricket. And I said, what about Cricket? He said, well, I'll tell you what. 
She's small. She's about 14 one hand high. Um, my horse is so big she could probably run wide open and just run underneath his legs and keep going. I've ridden this horse before. Uh, when we took the kids up to camp last year, not this year, but last year, we put Andrew on Cricket. Uh, boy, Cricket's got a she's she's got the want to. This is what Jeff said about. He said, you know, she's a horse you can work with because she's willing. She has desire. Any direction you point her in or anything you tell her to do, if she can't do it, she'll die trying. I mean, she just has the want to. She's got spirit. There's something about that horse that says, I'm small, but I can do this. Can she ever run? They had her out there swinging a rope over her head. Teach her a rope. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. But a wounded spirit, who can bear? You know, what happens is the devil can just beat your life out of you. Just beat the life out of you. Well, you don't even have any want to left. You just try and try, and you're so tired of just butting your head against a blank wall. You just say, well, I don't think I'll just give up. I don't think I'll try anymore. I've just tried and tried. Ha, ha, ha. Don't let him do that. There is a God in heaven that loves you and cares for you. For every fallen angel, there are two angels that did not fall, according to the Scripture. And he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Praise God. Praise God. When you get up every morning, not only do you have guardian angels around you, but you have the power of the Holy Ghost resident inside of your life and heart. Let God use you. Now we move on from desire to a very (coughs) similar subject. And that is the subject of love. Another aspect is love. Matthew 24, and most of you can quote this, but uh, I like for people when I'm preaching to turn in their Bibles and read because this is how you become extremely familiar. See, I'm convinced that that you could learn the whole Bible if you could read as much as you read Acts 2.38. Uh, look at these children who are quizzing. You see these children who are quizzing no, no, go back. I know you have to go. Okay. But see, I'm preaching right now, okay? Okay, don't interrupt, Liz. I know that this is important, but what I'm doing now is more important, okay? All right. If you have to leave, we'll go ahead and pray anyway. But you go ahead, and we're preaching now, okay? All right. Now, you see, here's, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, and, and look, look at this in, in the book of Matthew, all right? Matthew 24, 12. The Bible says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Basically what he's saying is that, that, you know, your love will wax cold unless you do what? 
But you just make up your mind you're going to endure. And this is what Jesus had to say. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. 100% in love with God. You see, we're talking about relationships. Not too long ago, I was just reading the story of an athlete who had his hips replaced. It was Bo Jackson. You wouldn't think, you know, Brother Aaron fell off this horse and they were talking about putting hip sockets. They asked him, said, can, well, I, he said, will I be able to ride my horse later? And of course, the doctor said, well, who would want to? <clears throat> but nevertheless, Brother Aaron said, oh, I would. But uh, what, what happened was that uh, Bo Jackson had this degenerative condition, his hip sockets. This, I don't remember what all the problem was, but they put artificial hips in there. He's playing Major League Baseball today. I'm not for sure what team he plays for. Maybe some of you would know. But this is what he said. He said, it will work for me because I love the game. It'll work. Do you know when people have a real genuine love for God, they overcome extreme obstacles to do what they really love to do. Buy the truth, the Bible says, and sell it not. I'm convinced that you'll sell everything you have except the things that are very precious and valuable to you. I've got some things in my house that, you know, if, if I had some kind of an auction, I just wouldn't know what to put on it. If I had to sell them, they're so valuable to me. They don't mean a thing to anybody else. But they're attached to my family. Things that I... I have a 12-gauge shotgun that I haven't shot since I was a little kid. It was my, my grandfather at Wallace's. He really didn't give it to me. Actually, I was down to his house one day, and, and he said, Would you like to have that shotgun? And I said, Yes. He was going to the store. He said, Well, give me $5. That's how it came about. I gave him $5 for that shotgun. He said, I was planning on giving it to you anyway, but he's going to the store, he needed $5, and he was broke. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's maybe the Crescent Tool Company. Can you believe that? <clears throat> I don't know if they made good guns or not, but I didn't know if the thing was shoot. What's it worth? It's just that every time I pick it up, I see my grandfather. See? You know, the truth of the matter is, every time I preach about the new birth, lingering in the back of my mind, there's so many precious saints that have given their life for this. Praise God. I'll tell you the reason why I can't sell out on this holiness issue. Because I love it. I was taught to love it. It means too much to me. But you'll be misunderstood. Oh, yes. But my friend, I've never seen spiritual people that are not misunderstood. I love it. 
you can you will sell out everything you have except those things that are valuable to you. You'll do that. You don't just fall in love with God when you pray. Love is a developing relationship. You grow in love. But if you'll learn to be consistent, you'll learn to develop that relationship, personalize that relationship. You'll love God and you'll love God dearly. You see, this is the reason why that the Apostle Paul can can write things like this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, For thy sake we're killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. In other words, this is not just a one-way road. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ was persecuted. Jesus Christ went as a lamb to the slaughter and as a dumb sheep before his shear. Yet he opened not his mouth. He did it for you. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. You notice what it says. From the love of God. My relationship with Jesus Christ is bound tightly with His agape love. That's what keeps it going. That's what keeps it going. Now, the, the next thing I want to talk about, and this will be the last aspect of endurance, is discipline. We've talked about this all night, but Second <coughs> Timothy 2, verse 3. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardships, or hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Discipline. You know discipline is the name of the game. Basically, when we condition ourselves, you know what you have to do to condition yourself? You have to push yourself to the limit every time you do this. I don't know how many of you have ever been involved in lifting weights. It's amazing, though, when you first start lifting weights, you can, you can go up and you pick up something, you say, I could never pick that up. Well, take off 40 or 50 pounds and pick it up 10 times. Tomorrow, add 5 pounds. Next day, add a little bit more and a little bit more. And then you go in and you pick it up and you're pressing this. You say, how did I get that much stronger? You just conditioned yourself. And basically, the only way then that you can condition yourself. You, you remember last Sunday night when Brother Showalter preached that message on risk. You spell faith, R-I-S-K. That simply means you have to exercise what lieth inside of you. Strength with God. Power with God. And if you condition yourself, that simply means that you push yourself to the limits of your faith. And you keep doing this. I've never known of anybody that just got saved and all of a sudden they were great miracle workers. 
But after a while, they become accustomed to the voice of God. You know, as much as Brother Crowder has been used of God, Brother Crowder called me yesterday. You know, I just detect, he called me pastor. He does this. He said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I said, what about, he said, about the voice of God. And he asked questions just like a little school kid would. I said, Brother Crowder, you know the voice of God. He said, I just got to go all over this again. But he keeps pushing himself and pushing himself and pushing himself and pushing himself and pushing himself. He could go to Papua New Guinea in 14 days come back home with 405 souls filled with a baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's involved in a discipline program, conditioning program. Too many out-of-shape Christians. Now, you want to endure, say you want. <clears throat> How far is it to the finish line? I don't know. As one poet put it like this, he said, around the river bend is another bend I see, but the bend that's calling me is the bend that I can't see. Over the mountain top is another mountain top I see, but the mountain top that's calling me is the mountain top I cannot see. I press toward the high calling, the mark of the high calling that is in Christ Jesus. How far is it to heaven? I don't know. How long must I continue? I don't know, but I know this one thing, my friend. It's a lot easier when you're conditioned. Oh, it gets hard when you're out of shape, spiritually speaking. Christianity is tough on the flabby. It's tough on the obese. It's tough. I'm talking about the spiritual weak ones. Second Corinthians 4, verse 8 through 9. I'm going to read from the Amplified. <clears throat> Let's read verse 7. Oh, this is just so precious. However, we possess this precious treasure, that is the divine light of the gospel, in frail human vessels of earth, that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power may be shown to be of God and not from ourselves. We're hedged in, that is, pressed on every side. Think if you look at this when he's talking about press. You think about a, a, a wrestler who's pinned. I meant pinned right down. He's pressed down. Holding him down. The count. One. Two. And all of a sudden, the wrestler gets just enough strength to lift that shoulder off the mat. He's not counted out. Have you ever felt like that two hits were on the mat? But God just reached in and gave you just enough strength. And the reason why that you had that strength is because you manifested faith in Him. In other words, you were in spiritual condition 
not to be counted out. We're troubled and oppressed on every side, but not cramped or crushed. You've seen some of the power crushes driving into the mats. Out with one big blow. Nope. We were not cramped or crushed. We suffer embarrassments and are perplexed and unable to find a way out, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted and hard-driven, persuaded, not deserted. To stand alone, we're struck down to the ground, but we're never struck out or destroyed. One translation says, I'm always being knocked down, but I have not ever been knocked out. Always get back up. I've got one more round to go. What is the secret? The secret is discipline. If you notice, the next scripture talks about dying. Dying out to self. Dying out to my, my own will that will destroy me. Nothing can stop the man who wants to endure. Nothing. Determination. All of that means determination. Determination. Are you determined to go all the way with Jesus? Let's stand. So Melissa Townsend, Debbie Reen, take their little Bible chart. They take their Bibles and they go into home. This precious sister, Jewel, they sit down and they start talking to her. You know, after victory, it's easy to just give it up. But Melissa, Debbie, there are many more jewels out there that need to be won. Brother Brunker got this van, fixed this van. He's determined to run the tires off bringing people to church. Rich Thomas leaves out this morning this van that he bought for primarily for his work loaded down with people taking them back home been to the house of God come back in here this afternoon go in the prayer room take all these requests back to God Got to keep on going. Got to stay in condition. Got to keep on fighting. Why? Because you see, it's the survival of the fittest. If you don't, you're dead. You're dead meat. <clears throat> Before you know it, that devil will have a claw in you, and he won't let go. He won't let go. He'll get a death hold on you and you'll be down. He'll be going for your juggler vein. He'll be going for your throat to cut off the air. 
Seriously. You've got to be sincere. You've got to have desire. You've got to love what you're doing. And you have to discipline yourself accordingly. But you can make it. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our young people are starting Youth Week 1993. Well, we had Youth Week. We call it Back to School Revival. Back to School is kind of a negative thing for these kids. Revival is so positive. So let's drop the Back to School right now. Let's just talk about Revival. Wouldn't you like to come and have God revive your soul right now? Come on, young people. Come on. Let's all come up and pray. We have anyone that's uncertain about your walk with God. Why don't you come and resubmit right now? You may feel like both shoulders are on the ground and there have been two slaps already on the mat. God will give you enough strength to raise that shoulder up. You may have been knocked down several times in this round, but God will give you enough power. Get back up. Go at it again. Come on, right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You have given life to This is serious business. That's it. What I 